This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the non End of a Podcast. I'm your host, James Bird, and I'm joined by Natalie Bromley tonight. Um, bumper issue, quite a lot to cover. Unfortunately, there wasn't a podcast last week. Uh, Natalie was very, very busy with work, so apologies uh, for that. Um, what we missed last week, obviously, was talking about Chelsea and Stoke. Um, two games that I think it's needless to say were not the most memorable for, for Clarets fans. Um, in fact, three games to talk about today that probably aren't the ones that are going to stick in your memory from this fantastic season. Uh, so we'll start at the beginning then, Natalie with uh, Chelsea. Um, it was a game that if we'd won, we could have put ourselves in a very strong position to be challenging Arsenal for sixth. Um, on the end, in, in the end, I think it was clearly just a day where we played a, a team that are, are classier than us and I think there's no shame in uh, being beaten by teams with the amount of quality that Chelsea had. And when you've got players like Eden Hazard you can bring off the bench, it, it's quite a formidable uh, side to play, don't you think? Yeah, it absolutely is, isn't it? It's it's one of those really frustrating games where you realise that Chelsea have probably saved their best performance of the season to play you when they don't really need to do anything because their position in the league was pretty much cemented, but we were trying to chase Arsenal into six. So I was I was kind of annoyed at Chelsea, really. I was like, really? You couldn't have just chilled out and given us a little bit of a free ride? But uh, yeah, it was a difficult game. I, I think it was a difficult one to assess, really. Um I think going into the game, we were all really like riding on the crest of, of a confidence wave, weren't we? And James, I think you and I talked about it the last podcast that we did about how we were going to celebrate a Chelsea win and uh, a win against Chelsea and how we were going to push for that sixth six spot. And I think that's probably just because of the run of games that we were on and that confidence was riding really high. And then I think we all came down to earth with a bump um, when, when we actually played them. And it did become really obvious, actually, didn't it, very early on? that um, it was going to be a pretty tough game. I think for about five minutes, I felt comfortable. And after that, it was a very difficult game. So, so yeah, I, it was uh, it, it was hard to analyse, really. So, uh, I'll leave it there. But also, I will, before we move on to this podcast, since James blatantly threw me under the bus there. But he is right. Um, last week was my fault. So, apologies, listeners, for um, our missed podcast last week. And thank you for tuning in this week. Yeah, I think it was an interesting game in some ways because... Um, obviously, they got a little bit fortunate to Chelsea with the first goal. It's very unlucky for Kev Long there, I think. I thought he had an exceptional game. And this is going to be, I think, a theme 
through the last couple of games. I think Kevin Long's maybe been better than James Tarkowski over the last couple of games. Um, he was very unfortunate, I think, to concede the own goal. But other than that, I thought he had a fantastic performance. Um, have you been impressed with what Kevin Long's done while we've been waiting for Ben Mee to come back from injury? Yeah, I really have. And I'm glad you said that, James, because that's something that I've been thinking about um, for a good few weeks now. I think he just lacked a little bit of confidence and a little bit of match sharpness and awareness, didn't he, at the beginning of the season? And when he had to step in, I think we were all a little bit quick. Um, I don't know, were we quick to jump in and criticise him? I think the fans' concern over his technical ability was perhaps justified early on in the season. and um, He just wasn't quite there yet. And it's very, very hard when you're a player like Kevin Long to come in and fill the shoes of Michael Keane, Ben Mee, James Tarkovsky, who are clearly very accomplished defenders. Um, but I completely agree with you. I think over the last four games, I think he's been absolutely sublime. And, and I'm sure we'll come on to it when we, when we come on to discuss the Brighton game. But I actually thought he well deserved his man of the match performance against Brighton and it just shows that there is an attitude shifting from the Burnley fans they can see a calmness about him they can see a thinking game that he's doing and he's putting some really good performances um the goal against Chelsea the first goal at the time in the game I was it did look it looked quite horrible didn't it it looked really not embarrassing that's the wrong word it looked quite a bit of a gaff didn't it and it was a bit oh why are we gifting Chelsea a dream start but actually I agree with you James when you look back on it after um a few replays I, I think he is unlucky I think his positioning is quite fine actually and he does genuinely try and block that ball it just takes a really horrible deflection and goes into the back of the net but I was really pleased to see that it didn't affect the rest of his performance I thought he composed himself after that pretty quickly um, and just managed to, to see out the rest of the game and, and put in quite a decent performance Yeah I thought it was, it was really good weirdly uh, it wasn't the first goal in that game that it was going to be a, a bit of an unfortunate one for the, the team conceding our goal was a, a strange one where Gummerson hits it from distance and I'm not sure is Barnes deliberately redirecting that or is that just a deflection um I don't know if I'm brutally honest and that sounds horribly like I'm sitting on the fence every time I see it it looks a little bit different I don't know what do you think James I'm gonna have to deflect that back to you because I'm I'm really undecided every time I watch it I just can't make a decision I think it's just a wicked deflection but I what do you think in some ways, Barnes looks like he's shaping up for it, but I, I think it's probably just a deflection. I'm not sure you can you can style that one out. <laughs> as much as you'd like to try. I think you're probably right. I can't, I can't make a decision either way, which just sounds not at all convincing for a podcast where we're supposed to be giving an opinion. Sorry, listeners. Uh, but yeah, I suspect you're right. I suspect it's just a deflection. Didn't take long for Chelsea to, to reassert the the superiority though and it was a disappointing one for the Clarets I think Moses completely unmarked and uh, for a player like him it's quite a routine to, to score from that distance when you, you've not got anyone challenging you and then obviously as I said Eddie Hazard's brought on for the last 20 minutes um, and he, he just shows how well he can control the ball I think he's one of the best players I've ever seen in person personally and uh, I think every time he got the ball he just like it was glued to him and uh, there was no chance of deep dispossessing him um, I think at that point you recognise that they're killing the game off and, and there's not much chance of Burnley getting back in it don't you think? Yeah it's it's just not what you want to see is it and I think as we get more savvy in the transfer market and we start bringing the likes of Lennon to the club and we start building a, a more 
I guess, Premier League established squad, um, you get a little bit less um, intimidated, don't you, by a lot of the substitutions that are made across the league. But then you forget sometimes when you play the top six um, that they just have the most ridiculous squads ever. Um, you know, like I say, Chelsea were already had the game done a better. And I actually think it was quite a disappointing performance from us in the second half. I think, um, I don't think we gave as good of an account of ourselves as we could have done. But then when you see Hazard come in, there was that spell wasn't the James when he was he was just dancing around the, they, they were shooting towards a cricket field at this stage and he was just he got the ball and he just did that turn and he's back to the goal and is impossible to defend against and the ball just sticks to his feet you're quite right and I, I just look at him and just think well this is just ridiculous it's not an even playing field is it but you know maybe one day when Burnley win the Europa League we'll have an Eden Hazard at our club who knows no he is incredible and for a moment there when you're saying as we start, I was like, you're not going to suggest we sign in Eden Hazard, are you? Because uh, I think he's just maybe, <laughs> maybe a shade out of our price range, unfortunately. James, come on, get excited about signing Eden Hazard. Um, maybe if we get some significant investment, uh, I think, then maybe we might have the money for him. But I think he's, uh, if he does move on from Chelsea, he's going to go for a lot of money because he's such a talented player. Um, so moving on from that, Next game was away at Stoke uh, Sunday, which is you know quite unusual, but obviously pushed back because of the very unusual Thursday game. Um, I'm not really sure what to, to say about this game. I, I was a little bit disappointed. I felt that we were quite flat early on um, and we left it a little bit late to, to sort of try and uh, put our dominance on the game and a team that are in the position that Stoke are in. Uh, I think really we should be taking more of an advantage. Uh, it felt a little bit like the end of our season where almost uh, the last couple of games uh, it felt like the job was done and the, the players were easing off a little bit. Um, some I tweeted that on, on Saturday after Saturday's game as well and someone said to me that uh, I was accusing the players of not trying. I think that's obviously not what I'm saying. I'm saying that maybe the, the desire, it, you know, isn't the same at this point of the season now. You know, Europe's pretty much confirmed. Um, and someone else said to me, Europe's confirmed, like, job done. I was like, well, it would have been nice if we'd pushed on and could have got sick maybe, uh, you know, more than just Europe on offer. Every place, I think, in the Premier League brings extra prestige and obviously extra money for the club. Um, but I thought, late on against Stoke, we showed how we could play and how Goodmanson doesn't come away from that game uh, with a goal, I don't know. You know, that last couple of minutes where I think he had three chances within the, the space of 90 seconds, um, any one of them could have gone in. Natalie, can you believe that we didn't score at the death there? Because th- there was a lot of opportunities and it just seemed like there was something keeping the ball away from the net for us. Yeah, it did feel a little bit like that, didn't it? It felt like there was some kind of wizardry going on in the stands and somebody was uh, would cast a spell on that ball. Um, yeah, I, well, taking each of these points, I guess, just to confirm what you were saying, James, I, I do agree with you in that um, it did feel a little bit flat. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that um, I can have a massive go at the players for maybe having an off day. It's been a very long old season and they are starting to see the benefits of the, the, the graft that they've put in. So I certainly will allow them an off day if they are feeling the weight of it. I wonder whether, James, um, 
we'd have seen a different performance away at Stoke if Burnley had have beaten Chelsea at Turf Moor. You've got to bear in mind, I know you're saying there that you want them to, to kick on and try and get that sixth spot and you want them to finish as high as they can. But once we'd lost against Chelsea, it was pretty much impossible that we were going to get that sixth, sixth spot. Um, it was, if not impossible, highly improbable because uh, we needed to beat Chelsea, but we had to effectively win every single game to the end of the season and beat Arsenal as well. So I think I think he'll be forgiven to the, that the players weren't potentially thinking that they could get into that top six. That said, um, I feel like if we'd have beaten Chelsea at home, we would have perhaps seen um, one last push from the boys to, to get them over the line. Turning to the to the game itself, um, it was just uh, I, yeah how how good Munson just doesn't I, well good Munson's just for me one of the the most consistently brilliant players that we have in our squad and and certainly since Deitch has swapped them him and Lennon on on different wings and good Munson's been playing more on the, on the left in, in Brady's position he has been absolutely outstanding I was genuinely terrified um, at the game on Saturday against Brighton when he went down and literally looked in absolute agony I'd, I had horrible horrible visions of his World Cup being all over um, I can't believe he came out for the second half really I was absolutely delighted to see him back he just puts in that graft every single game and he creates so much um he's also got this brilliant ability to put a ball in you know from quite a distance when he's run, running down the wing as well and he seems to swerve it you know from maybe 40 yards out he seems to swerve it right around the defenders and right where he needs it to be in the middle of the box um so yeah i, I i'd like you say it would have been fantastic for him to get that goal I'm actually expecting him to have a really good World Cup, and I'm I'm, I'm genuinely going to like tune into all of Iceland's games because I just feel like I, I feel like he's going to have a fantastic World Cup, which might be a little bit worrying for us in case we we'll lose him in the year. Um, sorry, post World Cup, but he's he's a fantastic player, and I really I was almost willing that ball to go in the back of the net towards the end of the game. Yeah, it would have been nice to see him score. Obviously, he's, he's someone I think has been fantastic this season, really built on uh, the flashes we saw last year in between his injuries and. He's managed to stay fit this season and obviously for a moment on Saturday it looked like uh, that little spell of um, good fitness could have come to an end and I was very surprised that she seemed to see him play the full 90 because at one point it did look quite serious and I thought that could have been the end of his season but uh, thankfully uh, he, he looked all right uh, after a nasty knee-on-knee collision. Um, yeah, for, I don't think there's really much more to say about the Stoke game to be honest other than it was it was incredibly flat until the second half when we seemed to put a bit of pressure on, but we just weren't able to get a goal. And I think it eventually came maybe a bit too late, that real spell we had um, that, that was a little bit disappointing. I think we'll come to something similar in the Brighton game. So um, obviously the Brighton game on Saturday, um, 0-0 draw against a team that have had a pretty good season, I think it's fair to say against Brighton. But if you look at the squad, I think, there's some players there that impress a little bit. I think Dunk's uh, pretty decent. Um, I've always found Knockhart to, to look pretty good. And uh, Stevens, obviously, who we were rumoured to be looking at previously, I thought had a really good game. Um, Knockhart, I thought, didn't have his best game on Saturday. Um, he is, I think, the type of winger that isn't going to be at a top club because he does blow so hot and cold like many wingers do. Um because if they blew hot all the time, they'd probably be one of the top teams anyway. For me, um, I think there's obviously a few key talking points from this game, but I think we'll get the big one out of the way first because it is uh, the one that's still rumbling on now. Um, obviously, Jertan 
Bong, I believe that's how you say his first name. It's a bit of a difficult one, can't say I've said it before. Um, was booed every time he touched the ball uh, at the turf. Obviously, this was related to his recent um, case where he accused Jay Rodriguez of uh, using uh, racist, racist terms against him. Um, obviously, the FA and an independent uh, in, in investigation have come back not proving the allegations. It's key to note that doesn't mean they're saying that Bong was lying. Uh, it's a, it's saying that there was no uh, not enough evidence either way to, to prove the case. And I believe actually as well, the independent investigation could only uh, come out with one of two options, which is proven or not proven. Um, so I think that's a, a key point. But for me, I think what's resulted in the reaction from the, the crowd was more that um, afterwards, I think Jay released a statement to me, uh, read as offering a bit of an olive branch um, and uh, Jaitan Bong came back and, and disputed that and said no he didn't miss A he definitely knows what he heard um, and obviously Burnley fans incredibly defensive of Jay um, it's a bit of a weird one really that he's left the turf quite a while ago now um, but we still like to sing about him and we still like to defend him um, obviously hometown lad and uh, I, I, I honestly can't imagine Jay Rodriguez is racist. He's a very nice uh, individual. But I felt a little bit uncomfortable hearing the boos all the time. I thought maybe, you know, boo before the game. That's pretty par for the course, isn't it, when it's a player who uh, isn't liked by the Burnley fans. But it seemed to get more and more intense as the game went on. And it now seems to have got out of hand with Brighton fans thinking that we were chanting, we are racist, we don't care, which is a Maybe down to the fact that the cricket field stand can't sing at the correct pace, but um, that's obviously not what Burnley fans were singing. Um, and obviously, Chris Hutton's comments after the game saying that he was very surprised it happened. He thought, you know, obviously, disgraceful reaction. And it seems to have snowballed from there. Um, Natalie, how did you feel about the crowd's reception for, for Bong? Oh, right. Well, this is. This is a minefield to get our heads around is this one. And I think it's quite difficult to analyse this. My gut instinct, no, not my gut instinct, actually. My reaction at the game on Saturday mirrors yours, James. It was it was all right when it when he first got announced and he first kicked the ball. It was it was uh, it felt like fans just, you know, uh, not I don't want to be dismissive there. It felt like fans were uh, letting him know which side of the argument they fell on. Um, the reason, obviously, being, like you say, James, Jay is a local lad. Um, he is a bit of a hero to many of us. He's him and his family went to school with a lot of the people around Burnley, so they are incredibly protective. Incredibly protective, probably more so than any p- previous player that we've had in a long time. Um, so at first I was like, like, yeah, same as you. I just thought, okay, well, they're making the voice heard. And then it just went on and on and on. And I genuinely didn't expect it to last as long as it did, to the point that it did last the entire game. Um, and that's I've never think I've ever seen that before at Turf James. I don't think I've ever seen that level of, maybe with the exception of Jason Shackle, but even that went a little bit comical by the end of it when he came back and, and played for Derby against us when he had that nightmare night. But I've certainly not seen that level of hostility outside of the East Lanks Derby before that I can remember. I agree, it made me really uncomfortable and it sort of became a bit of a, oh, this isn't funny anymore. This is, this is something else. Now, 
I'm trying to get my head around why it happened in the first place. And then equally, I'm also trying to get my head around whether or not it deserves the post-match, I guess, press and attention and widespread criticism that it's deserved. Um, I think taking the latter first, um, let's be clear here that the accusations of racism have come from what I can see one individual account on um, on Twitter that has kind of been picked up and snowballed. There's no truth to the allegation. He's I don't even know I don't know whether it's a malice on his part or whether he genuinely thought he heard that. I will give him the benefit of the doubt and like to believe it's not malice intended at Burnley fans to stir up trouble. It's just purely he misheard it. Um, and I would have liked to have seen that shut down pretty quickly. But then one of the problems with social media is is that. If one person had, if people had just ignored it, I don't think it would have snowballed as much as it is. But fans naturally want to jump in, requote it, send it on their own timeline, and saying, "Well, that didn't happen, did it?" Or have a pop at him, and then somebody else picks it up, and somebody else picks it up, and somebody else picks up on it. And you're seeing all of these people put comments, and I'm thinking, guys, just don't, because that's making it more obvious, and it's it's picking it up on more people's timelines, and that's how it gets snowballed. So that's potentially not helped the the racism accusations, but they aren't founded and, and they aren't, that just didn't happen. He's just misheard the song. Um, and I think that will be put out very quickly. Um, I guess the only other thing that concerns me a little bit about that, if you remember when we played Liverpool, was it Liverpool? No, was it City? Uh, it was when Sterling played and um, he'd had that really bad World Cup and he got a lot of abuse from the stands then. And there were also some more accusations thrown at the Burnley fans because he was a young black player, that there was some racism, hostility because his performance and a white England player wouldn't have got the same level of grief. Again, that was disputed because Joe Hart gets the same level of abuse as Raheem Sterling does. But I just think there is as I'm sure there is in many clubs, there is a small pocket of unreasonable behaviour in the Burnley stands that are based on attitudes that there's no time for um, in in modern society. So I just think we just need to be a little bit careful with that and manage that very well. So for me, I guess it just boils down to whether or not the actual booing of the player, which let's be clear, was not based on any form of of racism. It was purely on hostility and defence of Jay. Um, whether we deserve the level of criticism levied on us and the FA getting involved now as well and they've condemned the booing of the player and Hooton's had his say. It makes me feel uncomfortable it, because I think it goes too far. But similarly, I don't think it warrants the sensationalism in the press from Hooton and the FA getting involved either. Um, I think I think we might be in anomaly territory here, James, in that I don't think we've probably seen anything like this that we can draw on a precedent for to guess. Um, I, I suspect that maybe yes, the Burnley fans did go too far. Like you say, it would have been it would have been accepted if it had just been before half time and after the game, just let him know that we weren't happy with, with the, the, you know, that we were on team J for example. Um, and it would have just been some, some um, mild hostility. So I think, yes, the Burnley fans went way too far with their booing, but similarly, I think that the FA could have perhaps, and the, I don't know, 
and the press could have maybe dealt with it a little more swiftly. But then why would they? Because the more of these headlines that go in the press, the more sensationalism that they get, the clicks. It's really, James, it's so tough. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure that we've had anything like this that we can draw on. Um, I guess that's literally all my only conclusion of it. And I just hope that it just goes away and that we can keep our noses clean for a while because otherwise Burnley fans are going to start getting a reputation um, that perhaps doesn't reflect the, the majority of the fan base. Yeah, no, it's a very difficult one. I'm sure it's going to rumble on for a few more days yet, unfortunately. Um, but I think that's the controversial issue of the, of the game out of the way. Uh, and we'll get on to the actual action. I, I think there wasn't really a, a huge amount that happened apart from a couple of big penalty shouts. Now, obviously, it's well known at this stage that we've not had a penalty in over a year, is it now, of Premier League football? It is um, over a calendar year. It is indeed. <laughs> and we're denied it again. Um, oh. I'm not 100% sure about both of them, but um, obviously we'll start with the first one. I I don't know how the ball's not going in the net before this stage, but very scrappy in the box. that The ball then goes onto the post uh, and looks to strike Duffy on the, on the arm. Um, it's a difficult one because it's not, Really, I don't think he puts his arm out for it, but is his arm in a natural position? Does he gain an advantage? Um, Natalie, what what do you think? Um, it's a no from me. <laughs> Sound like a game show host. Uh, no, I don't think that the first one was a penalty. It, um, it It's so difficult to, to be able to stop that at that difference. And like you say, the ball was pinging around the neck at, at around the nets at, Sorry, it wasn't pinging around the neck. It was pinging around the box at a phenomenal rate. And everybody was clamouring in, trying to move it. And it would gone in so many different weird and wonderful directions that I just think um, it's impossible for, for players to be able to get out of a way of a ball that takes a deflection off somebody's thigh, I think, before it heads up to him. So he's probably coming at an angle he wasn't expecting anyway. Um, put ourselves in that position, put that against Ben Mee at the other end of the field. We would feel completely and utterly hard done by if that had been a penalty given against us I agree James his arm's not in an, in an unnatural position I don't think he particularly gains an advantage um, I, I, I don't I don't think it's a penalty but I do agree with you I, I don't know how the ball didn't end up in the back of the net that's that's the frustration thing about that not the fact that it was a penalty yeah no I, I think I agree with that the, the other one then is um, again for the, a ball ball to hand incident uh, it's Bruno and his arm is outstretched before he then clears the ball. Uh, for me, I think this one should be a penalty. I, I know it's not delib- necessarily deliberate, but he t- takes a clear advantage from it. Um, and in the past, I'm sure you used to see these given more often than not, but again, don't know if it was the Burnley effect, but no penalty given. Uh, what did you think about that one? Again, I would agree with you, James. I think this one for the for the two of them is far more serious um, a penalty incident. I was really surprised to hear on match of the day actually how dismissive they were straight away and said, "No, it's definitely not a penalty." I, and God, rec- regular listeners just know my absolute rage at the penalty decisions going um, and the inconsistency in decisions in this league. His arm is up. 
Um, it hits his arm. He gets an advantage from it. It might not be deliberate. There might not be an intent there, but he still gains an advantage from it and it still hits him. We have seen those penalties given umpteen times. We've seen them given against Burnley and the fact that it wasn't given for us is ridiculous. And one of the things that really got me, and this again just adds to my frustrations with the inconsistency of decisions. One of the defences that they gave in match of the day, saying it def- why it definitely wasn't a penalty, is that the defender apparently has every single right to hold onto the forward player so that he knows where he is. And that's why his arm was out there in the first place, because he had hold of the... I can't remember who it was. Was it Barnes or was it... I don't know who it was. Whoever he was holding. And that's how the arm was up there to be struck in the first place. So his arm's not in a natural position because he's deliberately raised it to hold on to the forward. Now, apparently that's completely acceptable. Fine, in standalone context, but then let's have a look at some of the penalties that we've had against us in previous games. And we're told that if you do so much as touch a forward player, that's contact and that's a penalty. So, well, which one is it? You're now saying that it wasn't a penalty because it hit his arm, but his arm was in a natural position because he's got every single right to hold on to the player and find out where he is. Uh, what? But then that's in against us. is classed as a, a defensive error that causes a penalty. I just think that, you know, I, I don't believe for one minute that he put his arm up there to deliberately block the ball. He put his arm up there because he was trying to grab hold of the defender and either pull him back, hold him or stop him from going somewhere. So quite frankly, you could probably take either one of those and say there was a penalty, but alas, no, not in a Burnley shirt. I did actually have a laugh though, James. I don't know if you did the same. Um, when later on in the game, when Ashley Barnes um, was fouled outside, actually, and again, I don't even think he was fouled. I think he just tripped over his own feet and ran. And you could see how desperate he was to get into the box. And he just, he fell literally about half a shoe's width from the edge of the penalty box. And inside, I, Jen, I think I might have tweeted this as well. I think I actually said like, oh, ref, come on. I think that's close enough to just give us a sympathy penalty. <laughs> like, Just give us one. I don't care. He did He did enough to try and like fall over in the box. Just give us something for goodness sake. Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not sure there was any shouts other than the the two handballs. But you know, most of the media seems to be saying they were harsh. Uh, they would have been harsh. So I um, don't know. Maybe that's just me looking for Burnley to desperately get a penalty. Um, but there was another a few things obviously that came out of the game. Um, uh, 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 injury to Chris Wood, who uh, was required stitches after. Um, I think he's been. I think that sort of sums up uh, Wood's season. He. he he seems every time he's got an extended run in the team, then just seems to take him back out of contention. Um, it'd be really interesting to see if, like with Goodmanson last season, had an injury plague season, then this year he's managed to stay fit and we've you know really seen the benefit. What, what do you think is the limit to what Chris Wood can do for us in the Premier League if he manages to get a full season without suffering some sort of injury in that way? Um, I genuinely, genuinely believe that he is an absolute class player who has got 15 to 18 Premier League goals in a season in him. It's been, as you rightly say, James, a very frustrating season. In it's been very, very stop-start for um, for Chris Wood. And like you say, as soon as he seems to just feel like he's getting back on it, he gets another kind of injury. Um, one of the points I made during the game, actually, that I tweeted was that I really hoped that next season that we could get a full Deitch pre-season under his belt and um, 
get him, keep him fit for the season because the team's shape just looks better with him in it. It just looks more confident. It looks like it's going to score. He creates chances. He holds the line well. And he, you know, it's a really big, big, strong centre forward. And he causes some um, defences problems. And I just think that get him um, get him back on in there. And actually, if the rumours are true, if we're led to believe, conspiracy people, that Jay is in fact joining us back again next season, uh, which is a very strong rumour, which has been apparently backed up by some um, people in the know. We've not used that expression for a while, have we, in the know? Um, we are told, if we're led to believe, that Jay's going to be with us next season. I'd be really, really excited, actually, to see how Jay would perform up front in a 4-4-2 with Chris Wood. I think they would be a great partnership. Um, I'll admit, Clarets fans, I was a little sceptical when the, the rumours of Jay joining us first circulated because I felt I couldn't really see where he would fit in the side. And I was incorrectly, like I said in previous podcasts, um, concerned about a perceived um, injury problem with with Jay which apparently doesn't exist so the more I think about it the more I'm coming around to the idea I'm genuinely excited to see how far they will go and I do think that as well as as Wood plays with with Barnes I feel like if you had a player of Jay's ability next to him I just think that would be an incredible partnership incredible I'm not sure I'm not fully on board with this idea of uh, bringing Jay back I'm afraid Um, well go on no I'm, I'm really glad you said that will you elaborate on that because I I was, I'm a bit like that at first and I'm coming around to the idea, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what was worrying me. And I know some of our listeners share your view. So go on. What is it that you're not entirely sure about? Well, first, in general, um, I always think it's a really bad idea to go back to a former player. Um, it just, it can never be as good as it was originally. I think the one exception is Jack Cork, uh, <laughs> who has been fantastic, but he's been fantastic. I think at the teams he's been at in between as well. Um, I was very surprised to see Swansea were willing to let him go. He, you know, he was the captain last season. He, I thought he was a key player for them in the midfield. Um, I thought he was pretty key for Southampton when he was there. Um, you know, he's maybe someone who's underrated, but I think his level of play, if anything, since um, leaving Turf Moor uh, last time, has just got better and better. And I think this season he's he's taken it to another level as well. Um, whereas, unfortunately, if you look at Jay's trajectory since leaving Burnley, um, obviously he got into the England squad, uh, but then he got a, a pretty... Uh, you know, major injury, uh, and he's really struggled since then. He, he's had spells where he's, you know, been scoring goals, but he's not been at his best. Um, and for that reason, just part of me wonders, you know, is it a little bit too late to, to be bringing him back into the fold? Um, you know, is he the player he was? Uh, does he fit Dash's system? I'm not 100% sure he does. He's he's not really the type of striker that Dash has a lot of success with. Um I think it might be like another Andre Gray situation where you've got a player who doesn't necessarily fit what we do um, and you'd just be constantly frustrated that oh, if we played more to his strengths, how many goals could he score? Uh, is he compatible with Wood? I'm not sure. What does it mean for Barnes, who's had a fantastic season and you know does a lot of things other than score goals that are, are valuable to a team like us? Um, it's difficult and it's one of those ones where I think it'd be different if he'd been in a better team this year. Obviously, playing at West Brom, West Brom haven't been very good at all. Um, I think we'd be being generous to them. Um, so you've not necessarily had the, the the best year to have a have a look at him. Um, 
as I said, on the back of a couple of tough years due to injury. So for me, uh, there's definitely reservations there. Um, and I think it's going to be a very interesting summer just in general with transfer moves because as some people have said, the only way really for Burnley now is is down um, because it, it's going to be very difficult to go up uh, and that's not, you know, being negative. Um, I'm probably one of the more positive Burnley fans who, um, you know, when it comes to giving predictions, etc. And I'd love to see us obviously stay where we are now. But I think what Dash was saying recently when he's mentioned about us not being the real deal is is about that. You know, if you look at teams like above us, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, look at the players they've got. And they, you know, weren't really even in contention for the title this season. And they'd got that quality in their squad. And then you look at what we've got, the money we're working with, um, it'll be very difficult for us to, to string together something that's going to push us on from where we are. Um, so I think what you know next season we should be targeting is to finish around the same place again, you know, 7th, 8th, 9th. Um, that's got to be the target. But, you know, we see now Arfield and Dean Marnie, we'll come on to in a little while, they're, they're leaving at the end of the season. There's a couple of gaps to fill. Um you're probably going to need another centre-half. Maybe there's other players people are going to be looking at. People are going to be looking at Goodmanson, particularly if he has a good World Cup. Um, you know, people might maybe even looking at, you know, Barnes or Wood, uh, if they feel that's something they can offer them uh, something. And, you know, some of these teams are going to come away with the, the type of offers to the player that maybe they feel they can't turn down um, because, you know, there maybe is a ceiling to what Burnley can do. Um, and it's going to be just very interesting in general just to see where Dash takes us from here. Um, and we can link this in, I guess, to what uh, Conte said after the game against uh, Chelsea, saying that he, to him, he thinks Sean Dash has an easier job than he does. And to an extent, I, I agree, because while it's difficult to do what Dash has done, there's no expectation on Dash to do what he's achieved. Um Conte is expected to challenge for the title. He's expected to win something every year at Chelsea. Anyone who manages Chelsea is expected to win. And yes, you can say, well, it's easier to manage players that of that quality. You know, it's easier to go sign players when you've got that budget. Um, but at the end of the day, there's been a couple of managers now at Chelsea have lost the players and it's cost them ultimately. Uh, we saw it with Mourinho after he won the title there and we've seen it with Conte this season. Um, so it is a difficult job to sometimes manage those egos, but also it's a difficult job to to win silverware because there's other teams who, you know, have spent that money, have that quality of player, and they're all looking for silverware too. Whereas for Burnley, I think if you'd looked at the beginning of the season, fans would have been happy to go one better, one place better than last year and avoid relegation again. So to finish seventh, there's there's no pressure on Dice to have finished there. You know, every game isn't a must win. You know, if we lose a game, fans come away and obviously you're disappointed. Everyone's always disappointed when your team doesn't win. I think anyone who says they're not disappointed from Saturday not getting a win, you know, he's, he's kidding themselves. There's got to be a little bit of disappointment. Sport, it's sport's all about winning. Uh, and even if you play a team that you don't expect to beat, you, you, there's part of you that's disappointed when you don't get the result you want. But when we reflect on these games where Burnley maybe get beat, you don't think, oh, so many mistakes he's got to go it, you know this is must win games for Burnley whereas if Conte you know first game of the season gets beat by Burnley people are saying oh Conte he's, he's got to do better than that look at the players he's got look at what we're expected to achieve this season like 
we can't can't be losing against teams like Burnley. Um, and I think there's there's something in that. And Natalie, do you think? What do you think? Do you think it is the case that Dyche's job's easier than the the likes of Conte, Wenger, uh, Mourinho at United? Um, I do. I do probably. Um... I, 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 there's not an awful lot that I can add, actually, James. I think you, you made some really excellent points there, and I think you summarise it really well. Um, let's be realistic. I, I think Conte went maybe a little bit too far, and I don't think there are any easy, easy. I think every single Premier League manager's job is difficult because if they're not, you know, scrapping to avoid relegation, you know, they, they're having to to manage different budgets to have in the top six. They're having to manage um, constant negative press from, you know, the, the outside of the top six circus that the, you know, that the, the amount of, of interest that the national media have in the other um, teams in the division is ridiculous. Well, maybe outside of Everton, um, they just don't really care about the rest of the league, do they? They're all about the top seven. So they, they'll quite happily hyperball over those top seven players, but anybody else, it, most of the time, they can't really be bothered to do the research on the, on the sides. So, you know, managers are just having to uh, deal with so many other things that the top six don't, top six and top seven don't have to. Um, that said, I can see where Conte's coming from, and 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 you know, but ultimately that's what he gets paid for, and he gets paid a hell of a lot more money than Deitch does because he's expected to manage that pressure and to bring them in. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure. I've got an awful lot of sympathy for him, to be honest. I'm pretty sure Deitch would swap places with him, giving a heartbeat, giving a chance. At the same time, I guess it is an interesting question to to maybe ask what could Dice do at a side like that um, I think it's doubtful that the, he'd, he'd be offered one of those jobs because he, he don't think he, he meets what is seen as fashionable by the big clubs but it would be interesting to see if you gave him the same players you gave him the same budget could he do what he's done at Burnley or does being a little bit of an underdog and maybe looking for players where those big teams aren't suit him um I, I think certainly being the underdog massively suits him I think from a technical perspective I think Deitch could hold his own anywhere he uh, you know when you actually you James who recommended it to me when I listened to, to Joey Barton's first podcast with with um Sean Deitch on it I was absolutely fascinated with the management and the business skills that Deitch was talking about and the things that he said he's implemented into the club. He's so modern in his thinking and he treats a club like a business and he adopts a lot of business skills to, you know, high um, high achieving business skills to a football club. And it's refreshing. And, and I think he could implement that into any club that he wants to. I think two things would not concerned, but I think he's got two challenges if he was to put that, uh, put Sean Dyche into a bigger club. Number one is the pressure. I've said it over and over again on the podcast. Sean Dyche loves the underdog and he's very, very careful to play down Burnley's um, successes because he wants us to be seen as overachieving and he wants the positive headlines of how we're doing better than is expected because he's savvy enough to know that the minute you start underperforming, the press will hound you and they'll find those negative tactics just because they want the, the press out there. He knows how the Premier League media circus works um the second thing that i think he would have a, pro- a problem with is the speed with which he works Deitch is a long-term strategist he puts long-term plans in place and he develops them and he takes his time top six sides do not 
wouldn't have the luxury of being able to allow somebody to learn on the job. So they wouldn't put Sean Dyche in there and allow him three or four seasons to, to get into the groove and to build something. They need instant results because one season where they drop out of the top four and they're not in the Champions League is a disaster. So that, I think at this particular stage in his career, I think those two things would work against Dyche in terms of succeeding in a bigger club. Um, but the, you know, the technical ability and the coaching side of it, no problem. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to see, but like I said, I, I can't really see one of the big clubs ever uh, going for it. So following the game against Brighton then, um, Everton did win, uh, but they're now six points behind Burnley, obviously with two games to play, but with a 15-goal difference. difference, um, I think obviously that's probably, unless Arsenal um, hand us one heck of a thumping um, I think that should uh, obviously be enough for us and, and Europe's all but confirmed um, and obviously anything to, to, to slip up Everton will, will make it official official um, exciting times for, for Burnley fans Brommers I know you are very very excited at the prospect <laughs> of European tour um, it's going to be interesting to see who we get because obviously there's a, I can't remember how many it was now but there's a massive list of countries yeah, that we could potentially is. have to play a qualifier against. Um, do you think it's fair to say that the best way to look at it would be uh, as a pre-season game, maybe? Yes. Depending on, obviously, the quality of opposition we get. Absolutely. And I've been saying this for weeks now. Um, I'm more than happy for Dyche to absolutely concentrate on the league. He is right. We start a clean slate last next season and all of our achievements this season will be worth nothing next season. We've got to start all over again and try and, and stay up next season. And, and I think that's right. Um, so I have no problems at all with Dyche treating this as a pre-season friendly. And if he wants to squad rotate, if he wants to bring in fringe players, if he wants to set up a second squad of, who aren't the first teamers who just play the European fixtures, I have no problem with that. I suspect he won't. I suspect he will reward some of the key, well, if not all of the key first teamers with a chance to play in Europe and that they've got that as a reward for, for what they've done this season. It would be very nice for all of those players to be able to say that they played in the Europa League. Um, I don't think he'd deny any of his players that, but I fully expect him to rotate and that is absolutely fine. In terms of who we get, um, my only criteria is I want to get on a plane. I know that sounds ridiculous, but please don't give me anybody in Scotland. And that is, you know, it may be in the later stages, fine, no problem whatsoever. But it's been an ambition of mine throughout my entire life to watch Burnley away in Europe. And for me, in my head, that means getting on a plane with a passport and going somewhere with a Burnley shirt on and watching my team play in a foreign stadium in a foreign city. So... Um, if I'm being uber greedy, um, I'd quite like to go somewhere I've not been before. But quite frankly, I'm a bit of a, a travel buff and there's not that many places I've not been to. That sounded like a terrible thin brag, didn't it? Um, but I, there's, there's been, I've been to quite a few places. I'm very, very lucky. So um, if I'm going to be super selfish, I'll say maybe somewhere that I've not been. But I, I genuinely don't care. Portugal. I've not been to Portugal. Is there a Portuguese side in the early stages? Sporting Lisbon. Do they come in? They're going later. I actually, I'm not sure who would be in the the qualifiers. Um, It's been a lifelong dream of yours to see Burnley away in Europe. For most of your life, that must have been a pretty pretty far-fetched dream. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I never thought I'd see the day. But then you know what? I never thought I'd see the day that I saw Burnley in the Premier League either. So you know what? This team is a team that just keeps on giving. So who knows? 
No, very true. Neither, neither did I. And to be honest, Europe's never crossed my mind often enough to be a, a dream. Um, I'd quite like uh, I'd quite like to go to Slovakia. So um, get a Slovakian team. I'd quite like that. Be nice. That's Could a great show, actually. I'd quite like that as well. Bit of a different, bit of a different one. Um, so yeah, maybe Slovakia, Slovenia, I'm maybe look now like in... one of the, one of those like smaller European yeah. countries that you know have some nice, interesting places. I'm looking now at the at this year's second qualifying round, and gosh, there's some flags in here that I've not seen before. And I'm, listeners, I'm not even going to give you the satisfaction of laughing at me trying to pronounce some of these names. The only one that I can actually pronounce on this list is Aberdeen. <laughs> I, I, oh no. Um, VPS. I don't know where they are. Oh, there's some there's some Iceland teams in here. Oh no, that's Swedish. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> Do you know what, listeners? Have a quick look on Wikipedia and there's a great table of the 2017-18 second qualifying rounds and you can pick whatever country you want to go to. Let's get on a plane. Yeah, some of these I'm just I'm just looking now as well. Uh Garika Slovenian. They were in the first qualifying round yeah, this that'd year. Be nice. Um, Have you ever been to Scandinavia? Kazakhstan. Oh, that's that's a trick. Uh, no, I Scandinavia. How about Kazakhstan? Yeah, okay. Karat. Where's that? Uh, we get to see, listeners, you're getting not only a quality analysis of Burnley's current games, you're getting a geography lesson. This is this is. You know what? It's just a value town. Is this is this podcast? Yeah. How about Zara FK? And where's that? Azerbaijan. Oh, these are these are these are trips and a half. Are these these are um these, these are long. Do you know when I said I wanted to get on a plane? I am also very 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 scared of flying, so I'd quite like to get on a plane for a very short amount of time. Don't be giving me any eleven twelve hour flights. That that's not good. Thank you. As I said, we could go for Slovan Bratislava. I don't know how they're doing uh, the Slovakian leagues, but yeah, Slovakia would be nice. Bratislava particularly be quite nice. Um. Yeah, avoid all those Scot. I think, like you say, avoid the Scottish ones and particularly avoid the Welsh because otherwise it will. If we go away to Connors Key Nomads, that is uh, sorry Connors Key Nomads. That's going to be exactly the same as uh, one of our usual pre-season friendlies, really, isn't it? Small, small ground in Wales. Uh, I think the same can apply to Derry City. So we'll let's try and stick to to mainland Europe. I think. Be, be quite nice um, but yeah it's a, a reality so it's going to be interesting to see um, who we get and I'm, I've got a feeling that that could well be um, confirmed this weekend hopefully so talking about this weekend uh, away to Arsenal um, previously this would have been maybe the, the battle for sixth if we could have got a couple of results from the, at least the last two games. Uh, but as it is, it looks like it's just going to be uh, a last big away day for the Clarets of the season. Um, I think it's safe to say we're due against Arsenal. Uh, having been robbed by them in almost every Premier League uh, meeting we've had, um, it'd be so nice to, to eventually uh, get a result. And obviously in Wenger's last uh, game against us um, which I think would make it even better because there's just something about the way Arsenal steal games against us and Wenger that I just the two are intrinsically linked and I think if we can break the spell and get a res- get the result we want and Wenger leaves then that'll be the last time that Arsenal ever do us in the last minute um, what are you thinking ahead of the game at the Emirates Brommers? 
Oh, it's it's just, it's all, it's karma, isn't it? It's just setting itself up so nicely for us to finally get that ridiculous Arsenal hoodoo off our backs. And I think I think we're going to go um, and completely spoil Wenger's party. And I think we're going to score a couple of last minute offside handball after extra time goals just to see him scurry back into his little... Um, what's it called dug out in his little long anorak and complained to the press one last time about how hard done Arsenal are and how they never get decisions that go that way and then like you say that will exercise those Arsenal demons forever and whoever takes over from that club will actually um, not shaft us over every single time we play them I'll tell you exactly what I want to see 95th minute corner it's drifted in by Goodmanson and there's Ashley Barnes leaping with a closed fist to punch the ball in the net. Referee misses it and uh, we win. Yes. the ha- Instead of the hand of God, the hand of Barnes. The hand of Ash. How yeah. would you pronounce that? Oh, it's, it's, all, it's almost poetic, James. What a wonderful end. Yeah, like you said, I, I don't really care who scores it. I would love to, to win with it coming off someone's arm or hand. Something that's not allowed, basically. Yeah, it's, it's just got to be Off, an illegal goal. Or offside, or c- clearly offside, something like that. Just, just something, something that is equivalent to all those goals that uh, Arsenal have used to rob Definitely. us of, of points. Maybe we should wait. and it's, We're 1-0 we on, on the 90th minute, and then we'll score both goals to win in extra time. One during normal extra time or right on the death and the other one after extra time's gone because they've played extra because they've been whinging. And both of them are literally an amalgamation of all the shaftings that they're giving us. We need at least one handball, at least an offside, at least... <laughs> we, need, we need it all. Yeah, completely agree. Um, team selection, uh, Natalie, just before we, we wrap up. Um, obviously, Wood had stitches on his foot. Probably questionable that Dyer should want to risk something like that. You yeah, don't want to yeah, reopen the cut, so got to assume he's out. Do you play Volks up front with Barnes? Um, I, I suspect he'll probably go back to starting um, uh, Barnes up front on his own in a four-five-one. I think um, we saw that, didn't we? Just before he got comfortable with his four-four-two, I fully expect that he will start with Barnes up front on his own and not really commit too much forward. Um, maybe just I think he'll bring Hendrick back and play Hendrick in the middle with Cork and Westwood um, Good Munson and, and uh, Lennon on the wings and I think he'll just keep it tight and just not let them score and then have a look at it 55, 60 minutes in see whether or not there's a chance that we can try and nick something and then maybe take um, Hendrick off and put folks on them with Barnes up front that's how I fully expect it to go Very very detailed summary of uh, how you expect Dash to, right. to go I, Thank you. I'd agree I'd I suspect Hendrick uh, back in will be the the move. Um, I don't expect any other changes to be honest. I don't think Ben Mee's gonna gonna make it. Unfortunately, um, though, despite all the conspiracy theories, I, I don't think it's gonna be the last time we see him in a Burnley shirt. So, I'm hopeful he'll be back next season. Um, but you know, at this point, is there any any reason to risk bringing back someone who's still got a slight niggle? Uh, probably not. Um, but it'd be interesting to see. It's obviously a great opportunity, I think, for Hendrick to to show what he can potentially do in the side. Um, he, he's, he finds himself now in a difficult position, I think, heading into next season, where Defoe, uh, apparently he's gonna, the club are going to take up an option of uh, extending another year onto his contract. Um, obviously, he's going to be back fighting fit. We've seen how he's played this season. He's been fantastic. Cork's been fantastic. Ashley Westwood, since he's come in, I think he's also been fantastic. 
and Hendricks, the one who's maybe not not shown uh, what he can do just as well, um, which means he's now looking at a midfield where there's potentially only two spots for centre central midfielders. There's three central midfielders who've been, you know, very good uh, almost every time they've played, and then there's him who's had a bit more of a disappointing season. So it's going to be tough for him to to get back into the the centre of midfield for, at Burnley, uh, and he's going to maybe have to give a good showing himself if he gets an opportunity in these last two games. Um, that's about all we've got time for this week on the podcast. Again, apologies for the lack of a podcast last week. Hopefully we've made up for it uh, this week, uh, talking about three games in one go. Uh, looking forward, obviously, to the Arsenal game. We'll be back next week. Uh, Brummers will be your host, and hopefully we'll be talking about that time we broke our hoodoo against Arsenal in the Premier League. Um, as always, if you have any feedback, comments, anything to say, um, please get back in touch uh, with us at podcast at nonearnever.com. Um, two more podcasts to come. A key thing as well, actually, for me to mention, um, you may remember last year I did the Burnley to Bournemouth charity ride, uh, raising money for the Barry Kilby Prostate Cancer Appeal. Um, this time around, I'm not doing all three days. Unfortunately, I don't have enough annual leave left to to commit to all three. Uh, so what instead I'm doing is they're doing the return journey, uh, Bournemouth to Burnley in time for the Bournemouth game as the last game of the season. I'm going to ride my bike down from where I live in Barrow and Furness to Stafford on the, the Friday to meet them. That's 155 miles. Uh, and then I'll do the last day with them, uh, about 80, 90 miles. Um, so I'll put a link to one of the other guys uh, fundraising pages in the show notes. Uh, any money you can you can donate obviously goes to a fantastic cause. Um, the money raised last year by myself and the others resulted in 500 men being able to be tested uh, for prostate cancer, and obviously several of them got referred to to GPs and hospitals after, and it could well have saved their lives uh, being checked. Um, so yeah, any money people can donate to that is a fantastic cause and it'll be uh, much appreciated. Uh, so that's all we've got time for. Um, we'll see you again next week. I've been Joe's Bird. Good night. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.